0: Psalm 90. So we're moving out of the out of book three in the Psalms. And this is the book four, the, the fourth collection of books in the Psalms. If you've been looking at Psalm 90 um, over the week, then uh, uh, you've noticed that we're moving into a little bit of a different tone than what we have been since Psalm 73 through Psalm 89. Most of those Psalms were were laments. Um, not all, but most of them were laments. Most of them had to do with the exile. And then we get to Psalm 90, and um, this is the only psalm in the book of Psalms that is a prayer of Moses. And so we, we have this um, strategically placed um, psalm that was written by Moses, and it's almost as if whoever put this collection together... We don't know all the rhymes and all the reasons. We do know that as Psalm 89 ends, um, it is ending. We said last time that Psalm 89, you could divide it up with great is your faithfulness. And then the second half is where is your faithfulness? Lord, it doesn't look like that your promises are coming to fruition. And, and it's almost as if the, the, the person who collected and, and structured this book wanted to follow up with a psalm of Moses, one who knew a lot about what it meant to be in the wilderness, one who knew a lot about um, not being able to see um, the fullness of the promises that the Lord had given. Uh, Some of that, a lot of that based on his own shortcomings. And so when we come to Psalm 90, you're probably familiar with this psalm, at least to some extent. It's a very beautiful psalm. It's a very sweet psalm. It, it, it brings out some things that um, just really lift our spirits, but it's also a very sobering psalm. And so as we look at that tonight, I'm looking forward to spending some time here. Let me just read the psalm. We're not in one that's too long to read at this point. So Psalm 90. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength uh, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. So this is a psalm that begins with um, this statement, Lord, you have been, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And then it really sets a, a big comparison contrast. The first half of this psalm really sets a contrast between the everlasting God and the very, very brief time that man has on earth. And then the psalm uh, will take that and, and will push through to the application. So, teach us to number our days so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Now that's just a big, a big overview. We're going we're to look further and closer into this. The first section, or at least the first section that I'm carving out here is verses 1 through 6. And it's, uh, it's an eternal refuge for a brief life. An eternal refuge for a brief life. You know, there are all kinds of ways that we can come face to face with just the magnitude of God, with the glory of God, with the, uh, uh, with the fact that God is so much bigger than we are that our minds can't even come close to wrapping around who He is and what He is. We could talk about His character. We could talk about His holiness. We could talk about all kinds of things, but one of the things that that Moses does here is he talks about how how far away God is from us just from the standpoint that he is from everlasting to everlasting. Now let's let's start and and and, and one of the things that Moses does with this is he He doesn't just make some abstract statement. I mean, I could tell you God's from everlasting to everlasting. And you say, yeah, you know, we know that. That's what the Bible says. In the beginning was God and and, and he created. But, But look what Moses does with that. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. The word Lord here, you'll notice, it's not... Yahweh, Yahweh is the capital L and then everything else is lowercase. He starts out with all caps, Lord, all capitalized. And it's the name Adonai. And this name signifies God's ownership over every single member of the human family. And, and it signifies His right to require our worship and our obedience So so that's that's how the psalm starts. Adonai, owner of heaven and earth, owner of every human, the one who rightly requires, it's not beyond you, it's not unthinkable that you would require obedience and worship from those whom you've created, those who you own. He says, Lord, you, have been our dwelling you have been our dwelling place in all generations now the word for dwelling place that's used there is really meant to signify lord you have been our refuge you the one who owns us the one who can require of us whatever you will you have made yourself our refuge. We have dwelt in you. We have dwelt with you. We have dwelt under the wings of the Almighty. From generation to generation, Lord, you have been our refuge. Now, I want you to think about that as it relates to Moses and, and Moses' life. Here's what we know about Moses his, his life is split up into three periods of 40 years. So Moses, outside of his birth and his time going down the river, spends forty years in Egypt. Okay. When he's forty, he goes out and he sees that his people are being abused by the Egyptians, and he slays the Egyptian. Okay. Now that's uh, acts 723 tells us that he was forty during that time. He was eighty when God took him from being a shepherd in Jethro over Jethro's flocks back to Egypt. Acts 7.23 tells us that. And then Deuteronomy 34.7 tells us he was 120 years old when he died. So think about this as we track Moses' life and what he's saying here. As an infant who was placed in a basket and put in a river, God was his refuge. As a little boy growing up in the luxuries that accompanied Pharaoh's palace, God was his refuge. It wasn't Pharaoh, it was God. God was the one preparing, God was the one keeping. As a 40 year old man on the run in a place that he had never been to, running to a person he had never known, God was his refuge. As a shepherd from ages 40 to 80, in the middle of a career change, in the middle of his life, God was his refuge. As a man who would be called to stand alone many times against Pharaoh, God was his refuge. As a man who would would lead several million Hebrew people out of Egyptian bondage, and eventually into 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness... God was his refuge. What Moses is saying here really is that in the good and in the bad, in the hard and in the sad, God was his refuge. From all generations. Now he's not just talking about himself, he's talking about his people. Lord, you have been Lord, owner of heaven and earth, you have been our faithful refuge the one who's kept us safe, the one who's provided for us as we've needed provisions, the one who was our help in time of need. You have been our dwelling place, our refuge in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, what's getting ready to happen here is we're going to we're going to see this contrast that Moses is painting. When he speaks about the Lord, he speaks about the one who has been the refuge, the dwelling in all generations, about the one who was there before the mountains were brought forth, before he ever formed anything. He was God. We have this picture of an immutable, that is an unchangeable God. Of an everlasting God who was and is and always will be. And if we jump down a little bit, if you jump down past verse 4, you can see a bit of a description of that. He says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it's past. And as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away. That is, you carry the years, the thousand years. You carry them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning, it flourisheth and groweth up. And in the evening, it is cut down and withered away. Here's Here's what Moses says. A thousand years in your sight goes by as quickly as yesterday did for us. What did you do yesterday? How long did it seem? Not very long. He says, Lord, a thousand years is like that for you. And then he goes and he says, it's like a night watch. A thousand years is like a night watch. Now, a night watch is, they divided the night up, some into three, some into four different sections. So it could be either three or four hours. A thousand years for you, Lord. It's like three or four hours. It's nothing. You carry the years away like a flood. It just rushes in and goes by. It's like a night's sleep for you, Lord, a thousand years. Now, we're, we're talking here in poetic language, but he's illustrating a point. It's like grass. It's the grass that would have been familiar to those in the ancient Near East that would Flourish in the morning, but by the evening it was just dead and withered because it had been scorched by the intense heat of the sun. Lord, before the mountains were brought forth or ever, You had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You you, you are such a... A, a, a being that that your your nature is, is is eternal and to the extent that when you think about a thousand years now you realize that if you're thinking about a thousand years and the way we think about it start with you and then you got to count maybe, probably a little more, ten or eleven people ahead of you before that tenth generation comes along so we're talking about Lily's Great, 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 great grandchild. And it says, Lord, to you, it's like three hours. We won't have a clue who that is. Right? To us, that seems unthinkable. If I were to ask you who your great 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 grandfather or grandmother was, none of you know unless you got on ancestor.com. None of you know. It's so far back, you you can't even think that way. And Moses says, Lord, for you, it's like a night's sleep. It's like yesterday. Now, here's the contrast. Look in verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Now, the word there for destruction, um, what's being conveyed here is not... Um, at least holy. It's not, uh, Lord. Um, you destroy man. That's you judge man. The word for destruction there, um, really. In some translations, they say you turn man to dust and say, "Return, ye children of men." And and the the point that's that's being made here is that the lifespan of the children of men is extremely short, and eventually we all turn back to dust. You have an everlasting God who's been from everlasting to everlasting, and due to the curse of sin, that's, that's, the, that's where the destruction part comes in, but due to the curse of sin, men are born into the world. We live a very tiny amount of time. And then we return to dust. One of the things that Moses is doing in this first section of this psalm is he's highlighting number one God's uh, God's faithfulness and just what a blessing it is for us to be able to run to Him as our refuge in our time of need, his faithfulness to be our refuge in our time of need. But Moses is also painting the picture that we have a very, very brief time on earth to live in light of the fact that we've been created in the image of this eternal God who has full right to demand our worship and our service. So in one, in one vein, just kind of, if we really are catching what he's saying, it kind of blows our mind when we compare ourselves to God. But then on another, another vein, it kind of gives us the shivers a little bit when we realize exactly what he's saying. This life that we have, that many of us think will just go on and on and on and on, we're going to wake up in a few mornings and find ourselves on our deathbed. Okay? And I obviously don't mean that literal. I mean, it could be, but you know what I mean when I say that. We're all getting older. And our lives are going to go by much faster than we think. I had my, my first experience of uh, realizing this somewhat in a comical way. This past, uh, um, what is it, Ju- July, I guess, at Fight of Faith, I was talking to somebody in their mid, eh, probably early 20s, and I don't think of myself as being that much older than somebody in their early 20s, and so we were talking, and, and uh, uh, they said, you know, uh, I hate it you guys you know, have to, have to stay here in the church, and you sleep on the floor, and uh, it's got to be uncomfortable, and I said, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal, um, when I was growing up, and I was doing the whole drumming thing, I spent three summers sleeping on a gym floor in a sleeping bag, and it's not that big a deal, and they said, yeah, but you're old now, and I said what? And they said, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. But that was the natural thing. And I, you know, I don't really think I'm old now. But but they did, and and it just reinforces this idea that, uh, you know, it feels maybe it feels like a short season away that that was the time when I was doing those things. The truth is, it's been over 21 years since I've slept on a sleeping bag in a gym floor, which seems. Impossible to me, but that's that's just the truth. Now, many of you could one-up me on that way over, but, but time flies. And in the first section of this, Moses is trying to get our attention not only by comparing us to God and pointing us to the one who is our refuge and our dwelling place, but also letting us know... The time that we have on this earth is very, very short. And we are going to have to be forced at some point to do something with that reality. Now Moses is hoping that that reality, and, and along with what he's going to say next, that the Lord will use that to teach us to number our days so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. You know, one of the things that happens with people who think they're going to live forever and people who think that, um, uh, you know, this whole um, business of dying is is so far off they don't need to be thinking about it, is that they become very short-sighted, they live for the moment, and they waste their entire life. You find people who live for the moment in their early to mid-20s, who are still living for the moment in their mid-40s, who are still living for the moment in their 60s and By the time they realize they've wasted their life, it's too late. By that, I don't mean it's too late as far as salvation is concerned. I just mean they have wasted, they have thrown away the precious time that God has given them to invest in His kingdom and in His priorities and in His agendas and in His church and so forth and so on. They've wasted so much time and energy on things that just don't amount to anything And it's time that God would have required, it's time that God has, has, we go back to the Adonai, the one who can rightfully require our allegiance, it's time that God would have had us spend in allegiance to Him. So, an eternal refuge for a very brief life. Then we get to verse 7. He says, For we are consumed by thine anger. By thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, Yet it is their strength labor, I'm sorry, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear? So is thy wrath. So he starts out in, in verses seven through nine, and, and we're, we're, he's alluding back to, and you know the story, he's alluding back to what happened um to to Israel. He takes Israel. um, The Lord blesses Moses to lead them out of bondage, out of Egypt. They were headed for the promised land. And instead, because of their rebellion, because they provoked the Lord to wrath, they spent the rest of their life wandering around in that wilderness. The, 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 the precious time that they had, the small amount of time that they had, was wasted, as it were, wandering around in that wilderness because of their sin and their rebellion. And so Moses says, For we are consumed by thine anger. Okay. To, the word consumed there means to be destroyed. It also means to be wasted. One of the things that Moses wants to get across here is that sin and rebellion seem harmless enough at first. I mean, for the the children of Israel there, they had come out of Egyptian bondage. They sent some spies out. They came back. They had a pretty scary report. It was self-preservation. We're not going in there. That's crazy. They'll kill us. Seems harmless enough at first. But if you let it, sin will consume and enslave you, putting your life on a course that is impossible for God to bless. Now by that, again, I don't mean God can't intervene and deliver, but I do mean this. There are plenty of times where people come to me and they share their plans and their plans are are completely opposed to God's word. And I have said on many, many occasions, if you do that, you are putting yourself on a course that is impossible for God to bless. God will not bless your rebellion. He will not bless your um, headlong dive into sin to prosper. You will live a life, as long as you stay on on this course, you will live a life that is full of trouble, that is full of heartache, and that is opposed by God. God resists the proud, James says. So humble yourself before the hand of God that He might lift you up. So sin always starts out harmless. Doesn't seem like, you know, it's that bad. we heard all the horror stories and we dip our toe in the pool and it seems like this is not what they said it was going to be. It's just overblown, just paranoid, just manipulation. But then before you know it, You've spent 40 years wandering around in a wilderness, wasting a life that had the potential to be used in a mighty way, but instead you squandered it because you were foolish. And when I say you, I'm, I'm, I'm just as able as anybody else. Moses is saying, this is what happened to us. We were consumed by your anger. And by thy wrath are we troubled, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Moses says our lives have become little more than a parable. We've spent our entire life... Now, that's a little bit of hyperbole. Moses is spending 40 years here, but this generation has spent its entire life under the wrath or under the chastisement of God. And he says, when you get to the end, our life is little more than a parable that people will tell. Look at them. And it's true, isn't it? It's true. When we get to the New Testament, you, you get to a passage like First Corinthians chapter 10, that, that what Moses is saying here comes true. Paul uses... Um, the the rebellious, idolatrous hearts of the children of Israel to, to look back on, and he says, be careful that you don't repeat what they did. Be careful that an idolatrous heart doesn't spring up in you. Don't allow yourself to believe that you're being tempted with a temptation that's not common to man and a temptation that God's not giving you a way out of. And flee from idolatry. Why? Because look back on their lives. They're little more than a tale. Little more than a story. The story of a group of people, a big group of people, a couple of million, who God miraculously delivered out of Egypt. and, And the blessings and the miracles that they saw, you would think, well, they'd never be deterred. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land, and then watched the Egyptians get swallowed up. And then what happened? Unbelief, right? God tells them to go to take the land. What more could He have done? They saw the uh, they saw Egypt over just just uh, uh, overrun with frogs and locusts they saw the firstborn uh, killed they saw the the water turned to blood what more could God have done and yet they get to this place in their life where God has told them to go in and possess the land that he's giving them and they say we can't we're scared and Moses says because of that sin Because of that rebellion that probably seemed wise and harmless at the time, we spent the rest of our lives wandering around in a wilderness, and we have become little more than a tale that people will look back on and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years... Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. So he says, as far as to bringing that into numbers that we're familiar with, the days of our years are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, if it's really good, then it might be 80 years, and their strength is labor and sorrow. It is soon cut off. And we fly away. So again, it's just this reality that our lives are going by, and they're going by very, very quickly. Um, Seventy years, for some of you, you think, i got a long time until I hit 70. For some of you, you're saying, I thought that too until I hit 70. Very, very quick, very, very fast. And then in verse 11, who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Who knows the power of your anger? You know what, in some ways, what Moses is is saying here is... um, that on some level you just won't believe that God means what He says until you find it out. We can learn the hard way. And we're prone to doing that. Who can know the power of your anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Essentially, essentially, We're left with this principle. You know, brothers and sisters, we can choose to sin, but we cannot choose the consequences of our sin, can we? Moses and Israel figured that out. We can choose to rebel against God with the short time that we have, with the brief life that the Lord's given us. We can choose to willfully rebel, but we cannot choose the consequences that accompany that rebellion. Think about, think about all the people that you know who have wasted or currently are wasting their life because they refuse to live life in the fear of the Lord. Now, the beginning of wisdom, we're fixing to talk about, Lord, uh, teach us a number of our days so that we would apply our hearts to wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, uh, you could say a a whole lot of different things about it, one encompassing way that I like to say it, and you've heard it before. The fear of the Lord just means we take God seriously. We believe what God says. When he tells us to do something, we do it. You know, there, there are plenty of names, plenty of faces. People that you have known, people that you do know who have wasted or currently are wasting their lives because they refuse to live in the fear of the Lord. The truth is, brothers and sisters, that could be us. It could be us. As far as the brevity of life goes, um... Life is, is is brief. We get a very short time and it doesn't take much time at all for sin to consume it. Talking to someone a couple of weeks ago talked about a conversation they were having with one of their children. They uh, had some interactions with an individual who had uh, really just essentially become a uh, enslaved drug addict and uh, living a very, very sad life. And as they were talking to their child, they realized that their child's thoughts on that, like everyone else, you know, everyone starts out, I suppose, was, yeah, that, that's horrible and I would never end up like that. And this parent looked at their child and said, you realize it would probably only take about two years of consistent bad decisions for you to end up exactly where that person is right now. You've seen it. It's sad. But it's a reality. We have a brief time. And as brief as that is, sin can eat it up so fast. And so we might think about others, but... Let's not stop there. Think about the areas in your own life right now that function outside of the boundaries of the fear of the Lord. Areas that you know need to be addressed, but you haven't addressed. Areas that you know need repentance, but you just haven't got around to doing that. It hasn't been that big a deal. Brothers and sisters, life is short. And Moses would have us to know that in light of a brief life, every sin is a big deal. Your life is too short and too precious for you to let sin, known sin, go unaddressed. The impact, think about this, the impact that you can have on your children, your grandchildren, and those that you love and care about if you're not a parent yet, for the glory of God and for His kingdom is too valuable for you to waste through an unrepentant life that doesn't reflect the fear of the Lord. You think about the potential in every single life that's in this room right now. now this is not one of those um, motivational speeches where we're, we're trying to talk about how you can tap into your inner power. Okay, This is a... This is a uh, Psalm 90 biblical view of just how impactful the life of a Christian can be in the church of God and in the kingdom of God. You realize that when you see many churches that are dying out, struggling, barely meeting anymore, you find a group of people who have forgotten all about this principle we're talking about right now. They stroll in. They look like they deserve a medal for being five minutes late. They've completely forgotten that we've got a very short time. And I've said this before too, and I hope I keep saying it, and brothers and sisters, we are establishing the normal for those who come behind us. We're leaving that for them. And your life is too short and too precious for you to throw away on trivial, momentary pleasures that will only tarnish your witness and destroy the precious time that God has given you on this earth. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. And so then we get to the last section here. I know we're going a bit long, but that's what happens when I miss two sermons. The last section here, verses 12 through 17. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and in the years wherein we have seen evil." Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now this this last section here really is, Lord, teach us to live today in light of eternity. Teach us to live today in light of eternity. Bless us not to be short-sighted. And so here's the first prayer, Lord, teach, teach, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, one of the patterns that you'll see as people get older is that the older they get, the less time they have for frivolous things. The less interest they have in just silly time wasters. One of the things that you'll see as people begin to get close and know they're getting close to death, if they're at least if they're still uh, coherent and, and and can communicate, is they want to talk about things that matter. They realize that their 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 hours are numbered, and whatever they say and whatever kind of interactions that they have need to be meaningful. Because these are important days. Well, what Moses is saying is, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. That we might get a grasp on just how important today is and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and what we're doing with those days and those hours that you've given us and that you've required for us to use to your service and to your glory. Teach us, Lord, to know that it's just a short while until they end our funeral and put us in the ground. Very, very short while. So that in those moments, we might live for the things that are worth living for. Teach us, open our eyes so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Okay. Next, return. Verse 13, return. Return, O Lord, how long? Let it repent thee concerning thy servants. That is, Lord, draw near. Draw near to us. We've been wandering around in the wilderness. I don't know when in Moses' life he wrote this. But the light of the, 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 the blessing of the Lord making His presence known in a merciful, gracious way. Say, Lord, return. How, how long? How long? Repent. He's asking the Lord to repent here. It just simply means withdraw your judgments and deal with us in mercy. And so, Lord, would you return? Would you return to us the way that you were once before? Would you deal with us again in mercy rather than judgment? It's a, uh, it's a prayer of, of repentance, really. I'm seeking to draw near to you. Now, Lord, would you draw near to me? Would you return? Third, satisfying. satisfy You know, we can... Uh, Get so distracted, and we can look for satisfaction and pleasure in all kinds of ways that lead to our destruction, all kinds of ways that lead to us squandering the precious, valuable time that the Lord has given us. In this prayer, Moses says, Lord, satisfy us with your mercy, satisfy us with your presence, make us to be glad that we might rejoice all of our days. In verse 15, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the, year, and the years wherein we have seen evil. just simply means, Lord, give us as many glad days as you've given us difficult days. Bless us to be able to rejoice in you. Bless us to be able to spend our life satisfied in your mercies. Turn our sorrows into gladness. And then last, well, in that same vein, he says, uh, "Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory under their children." Here's the prayer: Bless us to to see and to know your work among us. Right, We're, we we want to labor in your kingdom, Lord. We want to. Uh, Be busy doing the things that you would have us to do. And and our prayer is that you would bless us to be satisfied as we see your blessings on that. Uh, Bless our children to see, to know, to celebrate the glory of your graciousness, your goodness. And then he says, and let, this is verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Return to us, satisfy us, and establish the work of our hands. Can you in good conscience tonight ask the Lord to establish the work of your hands? Now by that, I'm not talking about the specific job that you're doing. I just mean, um, as we seek to labor in His kingdom, as we seek to labor for His honor and for His glory, what's in your life right now that you can pray? Lord, would you establish this work? Would you make it firm? Would you make it lasting? Would you allow this? Would you allow my efforts and my investments in this to outlive me? Establish the work of my hands. You know, the truth is there are plenty of worthy investments, and the truth is many of you are investing in those worthy investments. What Brother Davis prayed earlier, what he mentioned earlier is exactly right. Lord, would you establish this Wednesday night service so that it outlives us? Would you bless me to invest my time in it so that my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren can enjoy the blessings Coming to your house and worshiping you midweek. Lord, would you establish my work as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife? Would you establish my role in the church? Would you establish my relationships? be an uncomfortable question, but it's one worth thinking about. If you were to to die tonight, what are you invested in that would be of any eternal significance or value for your loved ones? You know what I mean when I say that. I just got finished illustrating several of the points. The truth is, Knowing that we live a life that's so brief, it's like a vapor, you can't afford for the majority of your investments to be invested in things that don't amount to a thing when it's all said and done. And so everyone leaves a legacy. Israel left a legacy. Moses left a legacy. You're going to leave a legacy too. And the question is what will it be? Lord, would you establish. Our work? Would you establish our work? Would you teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom? Let's pray. Father, uh, once again, we come to you and we thank you for this psalm. Uh, Father, this is a rich, rich book and it has uh, so many different um, warnings and encouragements and uh, teachings for us, and, and Psalm 90 is no different. Very powerful psalm. If we can get our hearts wrapped around it, very challenging psalm. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless us to do some uh, uh, some self evaluation in light of Psalm 90. That's why you put it there. I pray we would not shy away from things that need to be changed. I pray that we would not put out of our minds the brevity of our life and just how quickly we will find ourselves on our deathbed. And yet, Lord, I pray that those realities would not lead us to be morbid or self-loathing. I pray that it would motivate us to apply our hearts to wisdom, that we might serve you and be a blessing to your kingdom, to your people, and that we would glorify you with the brief time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.